Happy New Year and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. The NFL playoffs are officially here and that means tons of coverage up on the site. Robert Mays is writing about Philip Rivers' legacy. Danny Kelly discusses Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense. And Danny Heifetz gives us his wild card weekend viewing guide. On the pop culture side, we have a live Golden Globes wins pool featuring Sean Fennessy, Amanda Dobbins, Chris Ryan, Micah Peters, and Kate Hallowell. You can check that out on YouTube. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, his Choose Your Own Adventure has brought him back to me. It's Andy Greenwald! In my defense, I made... Bandersnatch! <laughs> I made a lot of other choices, but I kept getting bounced back here. Bandersnatch is the new Mandalorian, dog. Look, <laughs> no, because people want to talk about Bandersnatch. I, I don't think people require the level of Mandalorian news that we've been for providing. I don't them. know. I'd love to see numbers on that. Could I'd get, love to see like live data of what? people saying like, it's like almost like a focus group on CNN when we've got different, like the 35 Republican presidents in 2016. Kaya, can you get us numbers on that? Is Frank Ludens available? <laughs> yeah, like a live. To... I'll do my best. Thanks, Kaya. Kaya's back. It's 2019. Happy New Year. Hey, New Year, same old pod. <laughs> Are you disappointed? <laughs> no. It's not like I expected somebody new to be here. Not this week. Uh, no. No, I don't want you going anywhere. I'm right here. I'm going to keep you right in my pocket where I can keep my eye on you. How was your break, buddy? What do you want to do? You want to go personal or you want to do cultural? Um, you know the way I think about things? There's no difference. Personally, I would say that um, I was in Philadelphia for a very long time. Perhaps too much time. And I went back to do... I mean, not that I'm like Mr. Fix-It. But I was like, Mom, give me a list of things you want me to do around the house wow. that I can do. That's very nice. And, you. you know, in the absence of anyone else being there. And, you know, what, what, what can I kind of fix? Light bulbs, you know, replace a toilet seat. Just want to jump in there. Light bulbs aren't fixed. You mean, like, could you take one out and put yeah, a Yeah, replace one in? it. It's not like I was like, uh, my, I've been watching these Thomas Edison YouTubes. Did TSA get inside yes. the light bulb? Did itself. TSA give you a hard time with your soldering <laughs> iron? <laughs> what you if brought? I just make a suitcase full of light bulbs? <laughs> You can't get these on the East Coast. You know, the taxes, they're different. Uh And I got to Philadelphia. Yeah. And I was like, okay, where's, like, what do you want me to knock out? And she was Where's her punch list? She was just like, I'm not really in the mood to do that. Oh, okay. So that gave me about nine and a half days of free time. (laughs) (laughs) She was at the the same time in Philly where we live, the neighborhood has changed enough in the Mm -hmm. the 20 plus years since I've lived there. Mm -hmm. That uh, it's like really popular, I think mostly two car families. So if you are not parked by like 3.30, yeah. you're not parking in that neighborhood. It There's was, like no parking space. It was never very parkable as someone who used to drop by on occasion. Yeah, and I would never obviously, you know, I, I'm not saying that I ever had two beers-ish and then drove. But never. It was, there was a couple of places around the neighborhood that you could just like leave the car. I also want to note that, if I remember this correctly, two and a half yinglings does not count as alcohol in Philadelphia. <laughs> no, it does not. In fact, if you are under the limit, they, <laughs> a cop, a decent cop, will give you a can of black and tan. 
and just be like, live a better life. Son. So those spaces are gone. Okay. Like all those like weird secret spots and like you can put it at the corner and nobody will bother you here. Like it, it's, that's all gone. It's For the all real- like neighborhood parking with stickers and electric only and the 45 bus stops. And it's just, it's just impossible. So you're basically in the house. Yeah. So I just, I think I'm like 40% bagel right now. I just ate tons of bagels and watched World War II movies <laughs> and basketball with my mom. You know, and again, I, who am I to say this is someone with a suitcase full of light bulbs, but there are uh, ride-sharing apps that you could we use did to do potentially— that. We did do that to go to some of Philadelphia's lovely restaurants like Zahav and High Street on Market. But nice. uh, then I went up to New York, mm-hmm. and I just went—I said, I got into a taxi cab mm-hmm. and said, <laughs> take me to the Great White Way. Great. <laughs> let's talk let's, baby! <laughs> We're back. I saw two plays. Uh-huh. I saw Network— Yes. Starring the great Brian Cranston. Oh, I thought that was the theatrical adaptation of NBA Desktop starring <laughs> at Network. What if it starred someone else? Fair. Yeah, like he didn't get the part. Yeah. Like he was in regionals. What if, what if it was like Steven Weber from Wings? Or Finn Whitrock or yeah, something. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I saw Network mm-hmm. and with Tatiana Mislani and Tony Goldwyn. Obviously, Brian Cranston. Don't, obviously, Brian Cranston. He's well, because he's like the name of the, the you know, like he's, like he's the name on the... Chris. No one listening to this pays attention to theater. You had, didn't them. you see that Broadway had a record-setting holiday season? Didn't I see? Yeah. What, in the trades? In the New York Times. No, I didn't, but you're right. The other day I left the house, and I, a, a newspaper, a broadside newspaper, <laughs> was spinning in the air at me and froze, and it said... It came, it hit your windshield, yeah. and you saw the headline? It's like, extra, extra. <laughs> the great white way in the black. The footlights will never go dim. Uh-huh. Keep going. Uh, I saw Network... And that was pretty cool. So Network, obviously, based on the Patty Chayefsky movie. I can, movie I can the see 70s. the two-page spread in the art section now. It was pretty cool. Do you want me to tell you sincerely about it, or, or you, should I just keep doing Newsies voice? Um, God, I'm torn. On stage, <laughs> really they like have camera options. people on stage following the actors around cool. so that they basically shoot it live and show it up on a screen. So Evo Hove, or mm. whatever that guy's name is, he really crushed it, the director. And then I saw Lifespan of a Fact, mm. which was Bobby Cannavale, Cherry Jones wow. and Daniel Radcliffe. Okay. And it's about uh, Cherry Jones plays this editor in chief of a magazine. Bobby Cannavale plays this long form writer. Daniel Radcliffe plays this fact checker. And they get like a piece in that Bobby Cannavale's character is written Uh-oh. that plays fast and loose with the truth. Uh oh. But what is the truth? Wow. It would find out. At the Roundabout Theater, did or that, at Studio Fifty Four, actually. Did that remind you of the old days when we were we were ink stained wretches? Well, really, we wrote reviews, so you would just get a note back that was just like, "There's twelve, not thirteen tracks." It's not like I was just <laughs> or like, like, "That's not a twelve string." And like, oh, but it certainly chimed. <laughs> so uh, that was my New York experience. Well, you look great. You look rested. I did one really extra thing. I went to a restaurant called King in the West Village. Kai, is this, we're killing it right now, right? Just restaurant. I really theater. want to go to this restaurant. I went to King. I've heard great things about King. Uh, a phenomenally huge portion of steak, if you order the steak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but. Did it come with like, a little side of steak? Limited time in New York City, you kind of like, you jumble it all up because you want to get it all in. Uh-oh. So I'm not going to agree with what you're going to say next. I, I had pizza for dessert. Oh, I love that. You did a bang bang? <laughs> yeah. I had dinner and then I went and got a slice. Where'd you get your slice? John's. John's or Joe's? Joe's. Sorry, Joe's on Bleaker. Kaya, run it back. We cannot put this out into the world with this pizza slander. Well, no, John's is the restaurant one yeah. where you have to line up. And John's, John's, at the John's slice doesn't spot. do slices. Joe, I went to Joe's. You went to the best slice place in the world. Yes. You did great. I'll tell you something. Uh, have you ever had a hanger steak and then eaten a slice of pizza? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Metaphorically? <laughs> no. Uh, no. How'd that treat you? Fine. I actually thought I did well with it. Uh, that's great. Yeah, I also drank like a fair amount of rye that night. So I, think, I think I think you did great. I hope everyone had a holiday as festive as you. Well, what about you? My time away from the microphones mm-hmm. combined the vivid and exhilarating scenery of Escape at Denimora <laughs> with the internal immune system drama of a late 19th century poet. Okay. Um I feel so like Lord Byron it's a in upstate New York. It's it, it's like sort of prison meets pleurisy in that, um, you know, one thing I've noticed in my advanced <laughs> Daddington years is that, is that the people who are blessed uh-huh. to be child-free have uh, restorative vacations. Or, you know? I mean, like, not if they eat hanger steak and pizza back-to-back. Well, nourishing vacations. Yeah. Um, Everyone else gets through it. And I would say uh, a family of, of, of four, uh, two small ones in a unglamorous Airbnb in Northern California where everyone is sick mm-hmm. for a period of six days is a bourgeois version of hell. Yeah. And um, that's that's all I have to share with you. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody in your family, but would you feel like this was also back-to-back years too, yeah. right? Yeah, right. two for two. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. December's to remember. And, and and so when I say that I can relate to Keats, it's not because <laughs> I am alight with the spirit of romance or I am, you know, no, it's quick with you've the quill. Fever dream dying. It's it's yeah. because something inside of my chest <laughs> is slowly killing me. <laughs> and it's just it's one of those things also, you know, look, it's 2019, everybody. And we can do amazing things. We can make an entire choose your own adventure film on Netflix that we're gonna talk about momentarily, yeah. I swear. But what we somehow there is still an option where you go to a medical doctor and you say, "Would you like me to point on the chart the color of the things that came out of my upper body last night?" <laughs> and he says, mm, "Well, it'll get better eventually." I'm like, "That's an option." I feel like we we got really far as a nation using that rationale, though. Like we'll just see. Yeah, let's just walk it off. Whatever happened to walk it off? Um, okay, Doctor House, you're cut off. I just. <laughs> You know, I thought that when I moved to Hollywood, I would move to the place where, like, starlets would be like, I'm feeling a little congested, Cecil, dear. And they'd be like, no problem. And they'd just do weird shots. And Dr. McQuacky would show up and be like, here's a syringe. And then you'd just, like, dig some trenches in the backyard. Yeah. You know, and then also star in a... That hasn't happened, though. No. So so we have a wait-and-see approach, and I just want to use this moment to say, Kaya, you need to hose this place down. Like, this, (laughs) this studio needs to be bleached. I told we're, you to call. We're going to need a burn unit in here. <laughs> I told you it was going to be fine on the phone. It's all got to go. Uh, you mentioned uh, Black Mirror, uh, Bandersnatch. I don't know if you mentioned it by name, but you mentioned the the choose-your-own-adventure aspect of mm-hmm. it. And uh, we're going to talk about that because, man, this is always like, I, I just feel like I get my my color back a little bit, you know, when this happens. Because it's it's like there's a part of like pretty much Thanksgiving to New Year's where I feel like you wind up because you do so much top 10 stuff mm-hmm. and so much retrospective stuff that you're living very much in the last few months and the last year. So it always gives me a little bit of a charge when that those first things start coming mm-hmm. out in 2019 and there's already so much stuff to get excited about. True Detective comes out on the 13th. We just found out today that Killing Eve is coming back for its second season in April. Black Earth Rising looks really cool on Netflix. That's the new show from Hugo Blick, the mm-hmm. uh, writer behind Honorable Woman. So there's lots of really interesting shows coming up. And the year kind of got started off with a bang with this, this Christmas special, I guess, 
of uh, Black Mirror called Bandersnatch. Yeah, so this was, I don't, was this a surprise drop? I think it, to a degree? it, it had been, uh, there had been a couple of Twitter Easter eggs about it. There had been a couple of rumors that there was, that they were shooting something at least, and that people didn't know if that was for season five. And then it showed up on Netflix's schedule, right? Like, briefly and got taken down. Right. And then it went back up and it was like, on, there's going to be a choose your own adventure Black Mirror movie, essentially, on, right around Christmas. I think we got to divide the conversation in, into two different categories because, you know, like all Black Mirror episodes, like all exciting event television happenings, there is a lot of chatter mm-hmm. has gathered around this project already. And sort of before I watched it, I was struck by the, you know, I was trying to ignore the debate about the, the content itself. And I was sort of unable to escape the larger debate. And I think the debate about the future of television, the validity of interactive storytelling as a medium, et cetera, et cetera. That's a conversation that I'm excited to have with you because I have strong opinions about it. But putting all that aside, just talking about Bandersnatch as entertainment, and I got to say, I was pretty impressed by it. And I was pretty drawn in by it. And ultimately, what I think was terrific about it is that it is Black Mirror to the 100th degree. It is absolutely an episode of Black Mirror. And... That is a thing now. That is a recognizable visual language, storytelling language, point of view, aesthetic. Atmosphere, yeah. Atmosphere. And they've even, I think, in the last year and a half or the last like batch of eh, eight episodes, six, six episodes, especially started to nod more heavily to a shared universe of, the, of these episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. Which even is, if it's just with like a poster on the wall or which something. Which is an interesting angle for it to take, but also one that is ultimately not that surprising because Charlie Brooker, we've talked about, you know, obviously well we always talk about it when we talk about Black Mirror, it comes springs from his brain. Mm-hmm. It is his sensibility. This He comes from Easter egg culture. Like for as much as he is a cultural provocateur and satirist and um, you know occasionally dystopian seer, mm-hmm. he used to be a video game journalist and loves this shit mm-hmm. and loves this kind of um, world building and interconnective stuff and, ga- and winks and you know nudges and Easter eggs and gamesmanship. I think that Bandersnatch is an exceptionally well-made exercise. And I mean that as I mean that genuinely as praise. I really enjoyed it. It really sucked me in in a way that I didn't expect. And I think the reason for that is because it made the meta conversation about itself the text. Yeah. It is exactly about the validity of interactivity. Mm-hmm. It is expressly about quote giving people what they want. And before we get into the you know the specifics of performance or plot, what I really truly appreciated was the way that it explicitly went at people who treat fiction like video games, and I don't mean that video games like with a deep story building story whatever that video games have become. I mean like the people who play Grand Theft Auto and it's just like let's go walk around and shoot all the pedestrians because you can. Yeah, people who do that, Andy. Uh, look, I we can, this is the second part of the conversation. I'm terrible at those games because I like to stay in the car and follow traffic signs. I am fucking terrible at video games. You like to ask police officers for directions? Yes. Yeah. I don't ever want to stray from the path, which is a whole separate conversation, one that I'll have with my psychologist, but also one that is relevant to why I think interactive TV is hopefully not the future and kind of bullshit. But this Black Mirror gives you the chance to treat these people like pawns, Uh but ultimately it rejects that, calls you out for what you're doing, and is a pretty sad, broken little story. 
and then it really ends. Yeah. And I really admired that, that it gestured to the noise and the temptation, but wouldn't let you look away from the actual uh, human heartbreak that was at its core. Yeah, I mean, I, what's funny about talking about Bandersnatch is that I don't know that any one of the three of us in this room necessarily had the same experience watching it because we all probably made different decisions while we were going through it. Now, there are a couple of that wind up being dead ends that you have to go back on. Yes. I don't know if that, if that happened to you. M- multiple times. You know, I, fa- I watched it with my wife, and we sort of argued a little bit about who what, what to pick in different points. So there's that whole thing of, like, the psychology of any kind of multiplicity of viewership t- doing a tug-of-war for the control of the narrative. And then I think that it very smartly sets the story within the parameters of us of something where that that would be an issue anyway where it's about right. gameplay and it's about architecture and it's about narrative and it's about parallel timelines anyway so you're not necessarily getting all the people from lost off the island you know what i mean like you're not going to make sure that tony soprano walks out of the diner alive it, it's not like you're making these sort of fundamental choices that deviate from the arc of the story, you're actually experimenting. You're playing in the sandbox that they've created, which I liked. I, li- I thought that made yeah. it feel a little less nihilistic, which it's not necessarily an uplifting story by any means, but it's it, it felt like a little bit more like, ah, this makes a lot of sense within the story it's telling. Yeah, it chose its its story very well mm-hmm. for and matched it very well to, I mean, it's about, it's about what it is, which I admire. Fundamentally, there were some choices that were always going to be made. Thompson Twins into the Gap. The first tape I ever bought. Yeah. Obviously, I'm choosing that, man. Okay. So I don't know what happens if you make the wrong choice there. Did you there. buy the, the Tangerine Dream record? Yes. Yeah. Of course. Because, come on. That, I mean, it, it starts to get a little bit more complicated when it's like, kill your dad, hit him with an ashtray, pour tea, tea over the computer, like those kinds of decisions. Well, the thing that I, that I really liked, as it sort of wedges you into a tighter and tighter box near the end, as I imagine it did for a bunch of people. And for me, the biggest fork in the road, and we should have, we're going to talk about this. I assume people listening have watched it or played through at least one version of it. It clearly wants you to, and, and will boot you back, I think, until you end up in a scenario where you sneak into the dad's study. Yeah. And the first time in there, to you know, you're, you're confronted with a code, and yeah. what code are you going to put in? And I chose packs. Sure. Because you're playing into this paranoia. And this idea that the thief, the demon of the, like the thief of destiny demon guy, yeah. And you do that and you find out it's all a lie and all an illusion and it's all, you know, it feeds into the paranoic thriller that a video game might be. Mm-hmm. And remember, there's the moment earlier in, in the film when Stefan takes, demands more time because he needs to put in a paranoia thriller element into his right. video game. Right. Uh, for whatever reason, I ended up booting back again to that moment and it, the second time through you choose toy mm-hmm. and it's just back to the deep central sadness of what this this project actually is and I don't know how you ended your last version of it but I ended the version where he chooses to go die with his mother mm-hmm. yeah and it doesn't give you another choice after that right and that moment um is beautifully earned and surprising and honestly I found that moment after I had chosen the Netflix thing where Netflix becomes well, did you a character. Do the, did you do the, the the white bear symbol first? Yes. And then it sends you back and you have to pick Netflix. And yeah. then you choose Netflix and you get to see the fight scene and all this nonsense. And it's so over the top yeah. and hilarious. And again, owning 
the fact that, because I think Charlie Brooker relates to this both in his, I, I just think this is the, the spirit that he has heretofore brought to television, but also comes from video games, which is chaos agent, right? Like sure. let's, if you see, if there's a, an open world game, run to the edge of the world and try to get over the wall. Like there's there, also there a degree of, of self satire too, where he's yeah. talking about, you know, we talked earlier about the black mirror has, is now established motif essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, it, on, on one hand, is a very personal episode, I think, because of when it's set and mm-hmm. what this person is interested mm-hmm. in. But on the other hand, I thought it was very tongue-in-cheek, maybe, about the limitations of what can happen within a Black Mirror episode. One Absolutely. of the reasons why San Junipero is so beloved is because it is one of the only episodes in which characters find happiness at the end. And even in that sense, even in that case, they're both dead. Yes. And similarly, you know, you, you can say that it's a deeply unsentimental show. That's one of its hallmarks. But this one, San Junipero, are deeply suffused with 80s nostalgia yeah. in a way that is honestly, at its start, no different than what Stranger Things is. Yeah, I thought that the W.H. Smith scene where he goes in and buys yeah. the records was was obviously something that Charlie Brooker had been like, it's every single detail of this is mm-hmm. like in my memory. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I was struck by the same thing. Um, yeah, the, so they're bringing it all the way back. Like, I, I think this is an incredibly successful exercise, and I really was affected by it much more than I expected to be. Because initially, when I was reading about it, and I was reading how excited people were about it, and, oh, this is really the po- the possibility of of Netflix, what it can be, what it would truly mean to do original storytelling, uh, original uh, uh, to to take advantage of the newness of of this technology to break some sort of wall in mm-hmm. storytelling, whatever. I was disturbed by that, honestly, because it's just a deeply held belief of mine, and it was one that was only reinforced by my experiences last year, that to make art or to try to make art is essentially just making choices. You have to decide. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide in big ways in terms of what you show, but you also have to decide in small ways so that the intention is never muddled, even if the story is exists in a gray area or in nuance, right? And so this idea that something would be improved by shrug emoji at key moments and giving people the option to do whatever they wanted. Yeah. That does nothing for me. I mean, the whole, as I was saying, like, I am a terrible failure at open world video games. I don't, I don't like deviating from the norm. And what I appreciate about challenging art is that it forces me to deviate and see things and have people make bad choices and catastrophic But that's what I'm making. saying is that I think that for the most part, most of the choices are still within... This this sort of like the boundaries of what a Black Mirror episode would be. It's right, not like is, it turns into a rom-com if you pick which, five or six different choices. Totally, yeah. but it's also why I think that it's dangerous. It won't stop you know, the culture machine from, from doing this, but I think it's dangerous to look at this as a harbinger of things to come as opposed to a Black Mirror episode mm-hmm. that had this technology. And it's funny that you mentioned something about Tony Soprano because I was thinking about the same thing in, in reference to this Bandersnatch moment because... Alan Seppenwall and Matt Seitz have this new book. bring this up, yeah. Which is a terrific book. I read it. I blurbed it. It's called The Sopranos uh, Sessions. And it it's, you know, they've been doing these terrific, terrific lookbacks on the great series of our last decade. And this is no exception. There's essays by each of them on every episode of the series. It's out in a week, I think. Mm-hmm. But the big, uh, the juiciest part of it is this big interview with Sopranos creator David Chase, where they kind of trick, not trick, they trap him almost. He, he accidentally refers to the death scene, the infamous yeah. last scene of the show as the death scene. And, and he has, and he says like, we were going to do it this way. 
And he's like, fuck you guys. It was like going to be like, he's going to go meet Johnny Sack or something like that. Yes. But it winds up, they've. And it just gave me an opportunity to say something that I said at the time. And I'll say again, I just think it's so fundamental to watching any of this or engaging with any of this. Tony Soprano didn't die. The screen went black. That was the choice. Now, what the intent of that was mm -hmm. can be debated. It can even be sussed out of David Chase. It can be answered for sure, yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. Right. Like, it, it's hugely important that the choice was made to convey this information to us in this way and what comes after it and our reactions to it are part of our experience. Mm -hmm. And I will always love that episode for that. And I will always respect the hell out of David Chase for that too because I think it's truly breathtaking. There is no one right answer. We saw the show. Mm -hmm. um, and what we take from it is what we take from it. But there is no what happens next. And that's the power of decisive filmmaking, storytelling. I thought you mentioned something earlier about that I, I did want to touch on. I, I think your point about The Sopranos is really good. But I, you know, this idea that this is somehow we've now taken a step that we can't step back from with, mm -hmm. with Netflix and the technology of storytelling. I hate to break it to people, but this has been happening already. You know, Netflix already knows a ton about us. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix is already making television that hits certain quadrants that people want. They're going to continue to do that at the, at the clip that they're doing it because eventually they may very well send all, uh, some of these networks out of business by doing so. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily feel like now is the point where the Pandora's box is opened. And I, I also think that people do like the passive experience of watching something. I don't think that they always want to be the player. Yeah. Uh, and I think that for it to be truly revolutionary, you would need almost that infinite amount of mm -hmm. variables that they talk about in the video game. You know, the way that they talk about in Bandersnatch itself is like, I just want to keep adding paths. To make it truly mind-bending, you would be able to dictate almost every single thin thing it's, that, that Stefan does. It's also so funny because, you know, people who pay attention, closer attention to video games have known this for a while, but this idea, this illusion of ultimate freedom and ultimate choice is the, the sort of the white whale of video gaming. And it rarely results in anything good. Because do you remember, I may have even used this analogy on a podcast before, but a bunch of years ago, like 99, 2000, I was the video game critic yeah, for Spin of Magazine. And there was this game called Shenmue that came out for the Dreamcast, I believe. And everyone was going crazy about it because it's brilliant. I think the guy who did Sonic created, or not, maybe not the Sonic guy, but another one of these Sega legends had spent a decade and millions of dollars to create this completely immersive game where you're this young man and you are trying to get revenge, but you also are wandering a city and there were arcades where you could play other Sega games. And, you had to, and someone would be like, yes, you can meet with whoever, but at 5 p.m. you'd have to kill time. Mm -hmm. And so then there was this beautiful, incredibly optimistic video game where you mostly played video games and wasted time. Yeah. And it was boring. <laughs> and they never made chapters 2 through 12. Yeah. Because Infinite Choice is not, you don't actually want your life. You want to be entertained and taken away. The idea about sometimes wanting to be passive is is well taken too because I sat down and re was ready to fire this up and watch it on my television set mm -hmm. and I was informed that I couldn't because you can't watch it on Apple TV, which is how I watch Netflix. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I took out my iPad and was told I couldn't. You had to watch it on your laptop. I had to watch it on my phone. Oh. And at first I was like, this is stupid um, because I don't want to watch television on my phone. But actually this was 
pretty well suited to it. Yeah. Because it made it. A, it's so, it's all, the, the thumbs are right there. It was yeah. a very video gamey, intimate, weird, private experience. Well, I don't know if I watched it on my laptop. And when you, usually on the, I, I, like the power book or whatever, you, if you move the cursor down, mm-hmm. if you move the mouse down a little bit, you will see the control bar and mm-hmm. you'll see how much time is left in mm-hmm. Netflix shows. And as somebody who watches a fair amount of television, I am sometimes known to check on the running time. Mm. You don't see it in Bandersnatch. They don't show you the running time. You can pause, mm-hmm. but you but can't the, go forward. Because it's, you don't know how much time exactly. is left. And you also don't know game. what narrative you're going forward to. So it was pretty fascinating. The, um, Want to circle back to one other thing you said that's really was really valuable, which is we already are doing this stuff in terms of interactivity, yeah. or at least if we're not doing it, they're doing it. It's not just that they know what people are watching. Netflix knows when you stop something. Yeah, Netflix knows How the moment you get into when you were like, "Ozark's not for me." Yeah, or "Nah, Marie Kondo, I'm good being messy," or whatever. <laughs> they know that and. They are using that they information. They know you're sparking joy. To get, yeah, they know, but like from everything that I've heard, they don't really give notes at all to people who make shows for mm-hmm. them. But A, that might not be true. And B, we're coming to a moment where if they do get more involved, they will say, we think you should do less of this character doing this because we know that there was a drop-off rate every time that character did something. And when we did a, a test screening of, of Briar Patch last year, there were there was a bar it was like a presidential debate like i saw when the 76 randos watching it on their laptop i saw when the 12 people who didn't make it to the end i saw the moment yeah. they dropped off yeah it's an awful way to engage with this stuff but if you're on the other side of it and you're making these decisions why wouldn't you want the data you know it, it's it, it well, is a, there's also i mean allison herman wrote a piece for the ringer when banner snatch came out that was about a lot of, but like some of the innovations that came along with this episode, but also some of the things that Netflix has been doing for a while. Like some Mindhunter episodes are 30 minutes. Some are 60 minutes. Sometimes they do uh, comedy specials that are 15 minutes long. Hassan Minaj's show is like a YouTube video. It's not like a talk show, you know? And so they've been messing around with this stuff. There's a lot of traditional television stuff that I think we're good with. Like Mm -hmm. we can stop doing that. We can stop doing a C plot that is just there to fill time. You know what I mean? And, And so I hope that some of these seemingly robotic AI kind of you know suggestions do lead to some innovative storytelling. I don't necessarily think that choose your own adventure is the way forward. And in a lot of ways, what was funny about this sh- this show, and Allison mentions this as well, is it did actually feel a lot like a choose your own adventure book in that there was a bunch of choices, but there was only so many choices. Yes, and if you, I mean, I I read a lot of choose your own adventure books mm-hmm. from the elementary school library, and my main memory of them was that two-thirds of the choices, you'd turn to the page and you'd already know when you got there, you'd made a bad choice. because yeah, you, you have to go back and do It would this. say three sentences. Yeah. And the sentences would be like, unfortunately, you run out of oxygen and you die lonely on the surface of the moon. Right. And that's an ending. Right. But you know there's more that story. That happens if you pick to have Stefan jump off the off the, off the deck. Oh, what happens? It just... Uh, it goes to the review of the game from that kid on TV. And he's like, oh, it's a tragedy, but it, the game sucks, and you have to go back and pick. That's uh, what happens if you choose to uh, do the work on the game in the office. Okay. In the, one of the first Yeah, decisions. and he's like, you chose the wrong path, right? He literally says you chose the wrong path. And yeah, then Co- Colin tells you that. shows the review yeah. that it was mediocre groupthink. Right, because they it, didn't work hard enough on and it. And it bounces you back. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I don't know. I admired it. I, it, it. The other thing about it was that gave me some hope was, 
the sense of humor and play that I was concerned was leeching away from Black Mirror to some degree mm-hmm. as it became an institution. When things become bigger or they become iconic, they generally become iconic for a few bold strokes as opposed to the whole panoply of colors and features and styles. Yeah. And as you said, like a Black Mirror episode taking certain boxes of dystopia and sort of darkness, almost darkness for darkness' sake, ultimately a cruel joke at the end, that was becoming a little bit claustrophobic. Well, and, and also I think it's become more and more influential. I mean, not only just do you hear everybody who ever worked on the show or anybody who's watching TV now is, refers to it in, in such glowing terms, but everything from the anthology format mm-hmm. to the kind of post-tech dystopia mm-hmm. that they've sort of put forward, it shows up in a lot of places. And, and I think that, that the most optimistic I ever am about Netflix is when we're talking about the things like we're talking about that, that, that Allison talked about. Like, the fact that Black Mirror seems to have found a corporate partner that is allowing it to be whatever it's going to be, that allows it to shapeshift and become whatever it needs to be at any time, not only ensures that Charlie Brooker is going to keep making things as long as, because he can keep pushing himself and Mm -hmm. isn't stuck to one format, but uh, it also means we're going to be getting more exciting, interesting work. And yeah, Mindhunter shifting, you know, episodes being as long as they need to be in an hour, when what otherwise would be an hour long format is much, much better to me and makes me, gives a secondary reason, honestly, to understand why, for example, Netflix just jettisoned the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Really, that was some corporate bullshit. It was a Disney thing, yeah. Because Disney's pulling all their content for Disney+, Plus, and Netflix was like, well, we'll fuck this then, yeah. basically. Yeah. But those shows always were deeply frustrating, even when they were good, because it's, it was as if Netflix had sold real estate. They had sold them, like, tracts of land, mm-hmm. and they were like, you're going to deliver 13-hour tracts of land to fill this. Whereas a more nimble current version of Netflix might be doing more of what Mar- Disney Plus is apparently doing, which is saying, oh, we could get Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie to do a miniseries. Okay, well, what could that be? Right. It'll be six hours. Right. And we'll take two years to plan it, and we'll make it, and we'll give it to you, and then it'll be what it'll be. All right. Well, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When we get back, Andy and I are going to check in on a show we haven't talked about in a while, The Good Place. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Microsoft Surface. Let's talk about something super exciting like the newest member of the Microsoft Surface family, the Surface Pro 6. Now faster and more powerful than ever before, so you can get even more done, whether it's from your office, at the airport, or on your couch. Take the keyboard off and draw on it easily, or snap it back on and type on it like a laptop. With up to 13 and a half hours of battery life and a new 8th gen Intel Core processor, you can work how you want to, for as long as you want to, wherever work takes you. All right, we are back. Uh, and The Good Place is almost back. It ended its sort of fall run with Janet's, the episode, mm-hmm. the last episode that aired on December 6th. And it's coming back next week, January 10th, for two more episodes. Uh, the Book of Doug's and Chidi Sees the Time Knife. Those are the episode titles. It's called Chidi Sees the Time Knife? Yeah. Is and it a Black Mirror movie? I don't know. Maybe we'll get to choose choose Chidi's adventure. That's dope. Um how many more episodes are there in the season? It says two. It says it's twelve episode season, and it's coming back for another one. But these are the last, it, so it's ending its season in January with two two episodes. That's what Wikipedia.com says. Wow. Org. Okay. Dot org. Maybe .com says something different. Yeah, I, I want to hear you what you think of the season of The Good Place first. Well, I want to check in with it because we've sort of we, we have been. Well, let me put it this way: I think The Good Place 
which we often champion as like the only good thing worth seeing still on broadcast network television, is a victim of being the only good thing to watch on broadcast network television because I am now realizing I too would rather have it at my disposal when I would like yeah, to watch it. Yeah, just have a bunch of it on Hulu and watch it that way. And in fact, that's what I did. I didn't keep up with it through the fall and then in the throes of deep, acute respiratory infection, I just, I burned through the last four or five. Mm-hmm. What a great use of that show, honestly, because it has such a consistency of tone and performance and it's it's always impressive. The downside of it to me this year was it felt softer. And I think we talked about this a little bit before when we didn't really get too far into it. I, I don't know where you netted out with it, but I was not loving the Earth stuff and the Australia stuff. And a bunch of the episodes to me felt almost too too sweet. Mm-hmm. The things that we love in Mike Schur shows, the things that are lionized and championed and gushed over on, on Vulture and in every culture blog there is, it felt like the memes had won almost, which is a real discredit and disservice to all the really talented writers and Mike himself too, who are working on it. But in dismissing it for those reasons, I think I made the mistake of forgetting the core DNA of the show, which is actually DNA that is better, again, better served probably on a streamer, which is, it's just going to blink and it's going to change again. Mm -hmm. In a post-Janet's, um, I don't know you'd want to call it, conversation or review with, I think it was The Hollywood Reporter, Mike was saying that how the, the, the standard operating procedure for the show, and it's intentional because people, things used to take much longer, is that it's going to change dramatically every four episodes. But when you're sort of caught in the week to week, yeah, you you're for- like, are we going to be in Australia forever? It's, like, f- it's like going to Catskills with the measles, you know? A little bit. Yeah. You kind of forget about it. And then it jumps again. And then it, doubles down and double dares and you end up with an episode like Janet's which was pretty astounding and satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to be both and for people who don't know or maybe have fallen off this was an episode that essentially gave Darcy Carden who plays Janet an opportunity to to play every character on the show at the same time and do the heavy lifting of an of a major emotional storyline between Eleanor and Chidi herself. I mean, it is a dazzling showcase for one of TV's most underappreciated performers, but it was also a reminder that the show is deeply special and at its heart deeply surprising. Yeah, I think that if anything, I would say that uh, I probably was taking the good place for granted. Yeah. You know, this is an incredible episode. I was a little bit more, uh, I don't know, nonplussed by the season. I think that even you were, but like, I, I... I don't want to blame a show for the way in which it gets recycled in culture. You know, that's not necessarily fair to the art itself just because it gets used as memes a lot. But I did feel like it felt like I'd been inside the pinball machine a little too long. Mm -hmm. And you kind of forget how hallucinatory or hallucinogenic this show is. Hallucinatory, I guess. It's like Maya Rudolph as a time judge eating a burrito and, you know, like all these portals to different dimensions and all this like internal logic that the show has. And when you're watching it, it's on NBC and you're just kind of like, 
dun 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 and you kind of take it for granted that like mm-hmm. you're watching something truly out there yeah but you're just like this is just like a sitcom and it's a will they or won't they with Chidi and Eleanor and every like five steps they take forward they're going to take three steps back by losing their memory or going back to earth or going to wherever they're going and having to start at the beginning of learning philosophy but I, I still get basically like sitcom vibes off the show like that is essentially like what I yeah. like enjoy about it but it's interesting to know that he is seeing that that it's four episodes and then a drastic, drastic change and a four episodes and a drastic change. And I wonder how drastic the changes can possibly get with that. The thing that, that, that it's far too easy to take for granted is this is a show that is fundamentally in motion. There aren't episodes that tread water. There is no, you know bandersnatch button that they could press to elongate the show for an extra two seasons should the ratings demand it. Mm -hmm. They haven't said how many seasons it's going to run. It's been renewed for a fourth season. They could say that's it. Maybe he has five seasons in mind. I can't imagine it goes past that. It's breathless. And that's incredibly rare. Yeah. I adored Parks and Recreation and praised it constantly. And one of the things I praised it for was its refusal to ever stay put. It was always shaking it up changing things. But in retrospect, that show is like, uh, sh- who's the boss compared to this? Do you because think that they've done that? Like, cause two of Mike's previous shows mm-hmm. for, uh, on parks and rec and then his work on the office, mm-hmm. they both saw the protagonist. They start out at one place and they kind of gradually brought them a little bit more likable. So I think in Michael famously is, is incredibly abrasive in the first season mm-hmm. of the office. And then they made him a little bit more of a lovable loser. And Leslie Nope was much more I don't know, like just kind of like not abrasive, but like was well, a little bit more difficult the, in the first season the, of parks. And then they changed her character. Well, the difference bit. between the first six episodes, the six episode first season of parks and what came after was that everyone was sort of side eyeing her mm-hmm. and thought she was annoying or ridiculous. Yeah, that's right. And then and everybody then, was like, you're the, you're a saint. And then after the first, after that, they were all like, what a weirdo. Yeah. But we, boy, we appreciate her. And it was a subtle tweak that saved the show and, and changed the show. Sure. Um, I was wondering if you felt like that was happening with Eleanor or that it happened to Eleanor. Well, you know, I, I think that, and I think Mike would probably agree with this and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll ask him next time he comes on the pod, but like, he likes to like people. He likes, he, yeah. he, his favorite show of all time is Cheers. Everyone on that show has their quirks, but everyone is lovable and everyone loves each other. That is his default setting in his storytelling. And honestly, it's something that people seek out and crave on television. It's in our deepest DNA and understanding TV. And I, I love it too. But to the, the question you're asking, I mean, yeah, those edges were sanded super quickly. Mm-hmm. The fact that these four misfits who were, ban- who, who were sent to hell together specifically to annoy each other yeah. are now calling themselves hashtag soul squad. Yeah. That was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> but, you know, again, that those four episodes or whatever it was of them doing that, which culminate in Michael McKean has Doug Forsett drinking right. his own urine. <laughs> That's right. Which is great. Yeah. Um, they're now they're being chased by demons through through different dimensions again, which terrific. You know, there wasn't too much time spent doing any of that. And maybe in retrospect, we'll look at those where Tani has to sort of give her sister a hug as the necessary schmaltier parts to get to where we're going next. Who knows? But uh, it, it, it's interesting. There are two shows that we talk about and then forget about and come back to and I think fundamentally take for granted and we've had reckonings with both of them. One is The Good Place, one is Better Call Saul. Yeah. 
both are craftsmanship trades. You Saul, know. I came back to the church. I was just like, take me back. Yes, but yeah. both shows are on the highest level of, yeah, in terms of performance absolutely. and production and writing and, and, and expertise. And it's really more but, of a testament to our like kind of short attention span, but, I think. But I also think that both of those are shows that maybe are the, um, they're kind of the, the gateway for us to go from the way we usually are, because both of us, I believe, Okay, I know I have. I don't know if you have been as um, adamant about this, but I've off, I've been like, no, look, week to week is better. Mm-hmm. I don't like binge model. I don't yeah, like, because it, it helps the conversation. Yeah, but these are two shows that I absolutely have realized I appreciate more when I can choose my serving size. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of interesting, just from my own personal experience. I wonder if other people feel the same way, or if there are other examples of shows that you just. I'll throw it out there. I wonder if people will talk about this on on our Facebook group, for example. Like, people are wondering why we haven't talked about the Deuce season two. I I, I copped to it last month. I just mm-hmm. haven't finished it yet. Are other people like that with the Deuce or with I don't know? Yeah, Preacher? what's the show that you like mean to be up on but aren't? Yeah. Is there a show that you will you will stand for? You will say, "I am a fan of the show." Oh, what do you think of the new season? I'm not watching it until I can watch it the way I want to watch it. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. So Monday is going to be the day after the Globes. So we're going to talk about the Globes. And we're going to talk about movies that we've caught up with on recently, like mostly like the awards movies. Well, we're going to talk about Vice. Yeah. I want to talk to you about uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. Okay. Because I watched that. Yeah, if yeah. you haven't checked it out, I think it's expanding to more theaters this week. It is a gorgeous movie. I really encourage people to go out what and see I it. What was I watching while you were watching that? Uh, you, well, so... Oh, I was, our, watching, our, our, I was watching the Eagles game. <laughs> no, no, no. Our... Was it the Eagles game? What was it? No, no, our beloved Sixers were here. Oh, yeah, I was at and the I was going to go Clippers with you game. to the game, yeah, right. but I am unable to breathe at altitude, <laughs> so I did not go. And instead, I watched a gorgeous meditation <laughs> on blackness in the American 70s. Sure. Yeah, it was a different, it was a big mood. It was a big mood differential on the first of the year, but I think it's a really a worthwhile movie. Love. It, it, a big influence yeah, yeah. on the film, apparently, on Barry Jenkins. I hope people check that out so, so you can join the conversation on that. I saw Mary Poppins Returns, and you know, you know, I got a, I want, a, if I I got a to, carpet bag full of takes. If I do Let's Talk, talk Let's, you get to do Daddington. That's the trade. That's the trade. Yeah. I'm and not watching Mary Poppins. Now you're setting you, the terms. Yeah. You don't have to watch Mary Poppins, although Emily Blunt is a god. I heard her on Terry Gross. She was good. Wow. Who's the dad? I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you I spent a lot of time in Philadelphia. The last thing that we're going to talk about just setting up Monday is I, I would like to see the best-reviewed film of 2018, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. And we were off off mic a moment ago, and young Chris, the slump god over here, <laughs> said that he too would like to see it, which, air horn sound, do you know it's a cartoon? Yeah, of course. And you're going to see it. Yeah, Jake, I support Jake Johnson. Okay, obviously we got to support I, 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 first ballot every, friend of pod. It's not just like people being like, this is cool in like a, the, the trash robot is alone on the planet kind of way. It's like people are like, this is the best superhero movie I've ever seen. Were you talking about Wally? Yeah. Did you call it the trash robot is alone on the planet? Yeah. That's more syllables than Wally. <laughs> You're never getting the syllables back. <laughs> Just say the name of the movie. When I die, yeah. I'll think about everything I could have said yeah. instead of saying Wally. When you're in one of those like floating entertainment fat person tubes, like all I'm the humans I'm surprised I didn't Wally. call it Wally, honestly. <laughs> Like the rapper, yeah, who used to be into Seinfeld and then hung out with Rick Ross. Um, and then we're so, gonna do. So, but so, I, so you are gonna see it. Yes, 
I'm very I'll interested see it. in so what Monday you think we're about gonna that. talk movies, we're gonna talk Golden Globes, TV winners, and everything like that. You should also make sure you check you're subscribed to the big picture podcast feed because they've got all your movie award season needs covered. Uh Sean and Amanda are doing amazing stuff over there. True Detective is coming on January 13th, I believe, is the first episode. That's January. a Sunday. That's January 13th. The first two episodes will air. And Jason Concepcion and I are doing a True Detective after show hey. called The Flat Circle, uh, that you can watch on YouTube and will also be available as a podcast after the show is over. So that should be pretty cool. Can I haunt that after show like the Lion God haunts Bandersnatch? I want you to come in every episode of that True Detective show and just be like, didn't watch it. There should be a big <laughs> red button on the desk. And are if you, you going to watch it, two hours of True D next Sunday? You press the red button. Uh-huh. I will emerge from the side of the stage and just give a thumbs down and a <laughs> sound. Yeah. Okay. Just to be on brand. So Jason and I will be got, got your True Detective it's stuff It's a two-hour premiere? It's the first two episodes. It's like, they're not doing it the whole season that way, but they're doing two hours the first night. Is there a moment where I can choose Tangerine Dream to play? <laughs> I think Nick Pizzolatto's got you covered there. <laughs> okay, good. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. So hopefully we have some guests coming up and... It's great to be back. Great to be back in 2019. I hope Andy lives to lives to keep doing more episodes. Guys, this is your go-to podcast this year if you have questions about herbal remedies, light bulbs, switchery, or as always, the great project known as American Theater. <laughs> Happy New Year, guys. Great job, Bransky's. Peace.